Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian editor and agri-briefing group editor Ben Briggs. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast platform. This week, it's part two of our series looking at the future of payments for public goods schemes and how they might play out at farm level. You'll have no doubt heard that there are a number of trials being led by DEFRA happening on farms across the UK. So how much progress has been made in developing the new schemes and will farming practices need to change? This week we hear from two people who are involved in the trials to get a sense of what's coming down the track for farm businesses. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. Hello everybody, hope you're doing okay under lockdown. So last week we looked at how farmers were trialling sustainability metrics for DEFRA to see if they could be used as part of the new Environmental Land Management Scheme or ELMS. Today we're heading to Wiltshire to hear about another DEFRA trial, this time involving farmers collaborating in clusters to monitor wildlife. In a few minutes, we'll hear from mixed farmer Tim Carson, who's been part of the trial. But first, here's Jess Brooks from the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. Jess coordinates two farmer clusters in a super cluster of 45 farms in Dorset and has been helping to coordinate the trial. There are now 150 farmer clusters around the UK, thought to cover around three quarters of a million hectares. So there's a lot of potential in this for sure. And it's quite a big part of uh, DEFRA's plans from what Jess says as well. Here she is to explain more about this way of working and how it might become part of ELMS. Um, The kind of principle um, behind farmer clusters, as we call them, is that we need to be acting on a much bigger scale to protect wildlife, soil and water. And there's only so much that an individual land manager can achieve on their own. Um, So the concept of farmers collaborating on a landscape scale with an advisor in the centre to coordinate them is what we nickname clusters. And these cluster type groups have come a long way since 2012, um, when the first farmer led project was formed in the Marlborough Downs. Um, And what we found is that it's not difficult to convince farmers of of the benefits of joining up with their neighbours. They learn more, they do more, they get good support and advice. And the benefits aren't just about the environment. Um, We're seeing social and economic benefits um, to joining a group as well. So it's kind of becoming the go-to way to access better support and and payments in future. So with the the DEFRA trial specifically then, what, what have the farmers been trialing through their clusters? We would really like to see... Um, can farmers and will farmers monitor wildlife, soil and water? So we have approached five of these farmer groups across the country. Um, And the reason why we chose monitoring is because we think it's a really useful tool for conservation. There's huge knowledge gaps out there and we need to know more about species distribution and we need to know more about populations on privately owned land where no monitoring currently takes place. So the whole point of the trial is we are going to teach 
farmers how to do certain wildlife monitoring methods will examine what the benefits are to them of doing that. Are they willing to do it? Do they have the time? What form might the monitoring take? Do they need um, payment and incentives to do it? And and how much training do they need? And I I know that obviously you guys had just started that trial. I think it was about a month before uh, (laughs) lockdown last year, wasn't it? So it hasn't exactly gone how how you'd planned. But what was involved in practical terms? What was going to be involved in practical terms for those farmers? So we decided that the best way of going about doing this trial was to um, invite farmers from within farm clusters to deliver a series of training workshops to them. Um, We came up with a variety of topics um, like uh, farmland bird counting, um, grey partridge scheme, for example, um, big butterfly count, uh, earthworm counts and things like that. Um, And training would include both theory and practical training sessions, so indoors and outdoors. So we teach them, they try it and they tell us how they got on. Um, So, yeah, before Covid struck and disrupted (laughs) our trial and and many others, we we did manage to get in two training workshops. Um, They both learned how to do the big farm and bird count and the partridge count scheme um, and also how to use a trail camera. So the most obvious feedback was that they all showed a strong desire to know what wildlife um, was on their farms and they enjoyed the process of being out there and counting and having a go. Um, There was an appetite to continue doing whatever they could manage but the limitations were that they were um, inhibited by a lack of time, whether that was Covid related or not it could have been, um, and, and a lack of confidence. Do you think this model could work for elms? I think we've proved um, that clusters work and that there are multiple environmental, social and economic benefits from being in a cluster. Um, As for specifically um, monitoring within clusters, within elms, I think it's a bit too early to tell from our trial um, whether or not this can be integrated into elms. But hopefully by the end of the year, once we've run a few more workshops and got some more feedback, um, (laughs) we'll have a better idea. But um, if it's impractical for farmers to monitor things within clusters themselves, um, there are other assets that could be brought into cluster groups to help them monitor their progress, um, like local community volunteers, um, new technology all the time. Um, I think as a principle, um, more surveys and more information about their farms helps farmers become more engaged and more interested and more empowered to do conservation. Um, We'll just have to see whether or not um, it can and should be incorporated formally into ELMS. And what would you say to any policymakers who might be writing the detail of ELMS, because we are still obviously waiting for a lot of detail, um, about what they should be bearing in mind in terms of, um, you know, when working with farming clusters? Look at what the farmer cluster movement and concept has has achieved so far um, and really tap into that and, and keep in mind that, Um, working with farmers, um, holding them up, rewarding them, supporting them is very much the way to go. It kind of flips the whole system on its head from top down to bottom up. So um, as for the detail, it all really is going to come down to these tests and trials and pilots. So um, really, you know, pay attention to what we've found and and interpret that um, as best they can for, for the benefit of everybody.
That was Jess Brooks from the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. Okay, so let's get the all-important farmer's perspective on this now and digitally head over to Wiltshire. Uh, Tim Carson, I've farmed the Pusey Vale. We've got 1,500 acres here, mixed farming, predominantly arable, and uh, contract rare uh, heifers for a neighbour who's got a large milking herd, and also a member of the Pusey Down Farmers Group, which is a, a conservation hub group. So Tim, you've been monitoring wildlife through the Partridge Count Scheme, the Big Farm and Bird Count, and you've been doing camera monitoring as well. What has this involved in practical terms and um, how much time have you had to dedicate to it? Um, well, not, not a huge amount, really. Um, obviously, you know, we're in a fortunate position where I'm in the high level environmental scheme and we have these uh, wild seed bird mixes. And so it was an obvious place to be able to carry out the monitoring. And um, I also have feeders uh, there as well, because I, I feed obviously not just the partridge, but all the other uh, wild birds that we get. And so, um, you know, it was just a question of going out at um, various times, which uh, we were told, um, you know, the best times to go out and everything through the talk we, we had. And um, yeah, I mean, it's so you, you can only go out there for about five or 10 minutes anyway because um, they're going to disappear so yeah it didn't uh, didn't take too long at all it's you know just part part of the day and what about the the big farmland bird count what have you had to do for that well i'm very fortunate i have a very very enthusiastic uh, gentleman in the village who um uh, goes out every single day with his binoculars uh looking for birds and counting them so i'm afraid i do cheat a little bit and he he gives me all the information i mean he's absolutely fantastic and you know every year he um sends a report in which i i hand in to our uh, nature hub as well um so <laughs> I, I have fantastic uh, uh monitoring um so i i'm a bit um i do cheat a little bit on that but uh, <laughs> you know you've got to use the resources around you absolutely no it sounds brilliant and uh yeah i mean it's sort of food for thought really isn't it as to how this might yeah. actually work in practical terms I mean, is there another way that farmers can collaborate with um with other you know wildlife groups or enthusiastic local people that kind of thing so that's well that's certainly how it's how it's been working actually because you know we do get requests from you know, the butterfly groups and bee groups. And it's amazing how many different lots of people uh, come out to um, look and count the butterflies, even, you know, wildflowers. Uh, so, you know, just, just very fortunate that we, ha we have all this triple uh, um, SI special scientific area uh, on the farm. But that's brilliant. And I suppose the difference would be that you would be having to capture that data, wouldn't you? Rather than just letting people uh, come in and take that data away, you'd be capturing it and feeding it into Elms in some way. Someone's collating it, but it's all obviously here on the farm. So if they're, you know, they're very happy to give me that information. So I have lists of wildflowers, lists of birds, you know, where the wild bees are. Um, and how have you, I guess, how have you found, um, all of this because is it something that 
you know, monitoring wildlife, is it something that you would particularly enjoy? Um, I do um, I have to say, it's, you know, I, I've been very fortunate that I have hobbies, you know, outside of the farm. Uh, so I, I have, it's not something that um, I've taken, I've taken interest in the fact that we're, we're in environmental schemes and I'm very aware of, you know, what um, we have uh, around, but I haven't sort of gone into the detail that necessarily we might be having to go into uh, going forward. But, you know, um, you're never too uh, old to learn, I hope. Um, so, you know, I, I'm embracing it, certainly. For this to work then for, you know, as part of, of Elms and to make it pay, what, what do you think would have to happen? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're very fortunate having our, our conservation hub that we started uh, four or five years ago that was sort of well ahead of the game, really. And, and DEFRA seem to be looking at the, these projects. Um, and so it's obviously the, it's the sort of blueprint that they're, they're looking at as to, to how these things are going to be rolled out and how they're going to work. Because we can do a lot of joined up projects. We're not just individually doing stuff. And so you can actually do some good big projects and um, joined up stuff. And, you know, it's certainly paying dividends already in the short time we've been going. But yeah. what have you learned? <clears throat> sorry, what have you learned from being in clusters like this about what can work and what can't? Because I'm thinking at the moment the the policy detail of Elms is you know very limited. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. No. But you know, what would you when you kind of see that policy? What would you hope they have understood about what can work and what doesn't work in terms of working with farmer clusters? Well, I think there's a long way to go on that, to, to be perfectly honest. You know, the, there's just been some mandarins who sort of been writing things down and uh, it's very easy to write things down, but we have to deliver things on, on, on the ground and, you know, on the practical uh, measures. And uh, you know, what we've done is in our cluster group, you know, majority of which has worked pretty successfully, um, we have the one site that runs through our area and we've... Uh, managed to um, do things on each person's farm who've got a little bit of the Wansdyke on to create uh, corridors for, for the marsh fertility because uh, we've got them at one end of our area and at the other end and so now we're trying to uh, give them the ability to move between all the areas and, and maybe um, you know increase the breeding and, and that, that apparently is working um, so that's just one example with the marsh fertility butterfly with the experience that you have of monitoring wildlife in this way and through clusters what would you hope that they put forward that could be like that could really work for farmers for wildlife for the taxpayer you know it, it, at the moment the current system works well i don't know quite what they're going to achieve you know do we have to write down how many species and what particular birds we have and you get so many pounds per bird or so many points per bird which amounts to you know what you're going to get paid but you know i can't keep my wildlife here that's the whole idea of wildlife they're free to roam wherever they go um whereas you know the crops i grow and the and the livestock we have you know we can keep those and monitor them and control them but we don't have any control over you know wildlife nature is um, uh, nature and uh, i i can't really see how um you know we can do our monitoring and it might be one thing one year and, and you know nothing the next year 
And mm-hmm. so do you get money one year, nothing the next year? Because you haven't uh, uh, got sufficient wild birds on, you know, on the farm. So monitoring this thing, I think, is going to be extremely difficult. And maybe the only way that is possible to, is to do it through these uh, conservation hubs where, you know, we can say in our <clears throat> larger area, we have achieved this, we have done so much. But on a per farm basis, I think it's going to be extremely hard. Mm. And, you know, how and could be very unfair as well as to how it's um, sorted. Mm, absolutely. And I think you, you said you've, um, you were one of the founding members of the farm cluster that you're in. Yeah. You know, what would you say to other farmers listening who are not part of a cluster and who have not considered it? You know, what are the benefits of being part of a, of a cluster from your perspective? Well, I mean, you know, the ability to get funding and uh, there's a lot of companies out there who have all sort of got to look at their carbon footprint. Obviously, you know, a, a big factory um, doesn't have any green credentials at all so you know they need to prove that they're sort of ticking their box and so they're saying right if we fund a project you know can we you know use that as um saying that we're helping you and that offsets their sort of green credentials so i think that there's huge opportunities there between individuals between companies but where that fits in with the Elms thing, you know, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we've certainly had funding from Network Rail. They're doing all the electrification from Paddington to Cardiff. And they've cut down millions of trees. And obviously they have to do projects. And we've, they've done a load of work in our woodland. They've planted a hedge alongside the Kennet and Avon Canal. And we're doing a big bat project, and that's going to enormously help the bats move from these pillboxes that are on the canal. We've sort of made a corridor for bats, and that's all being paid for by Network Rail because it's their sort of mitigation. Mm. So, you know, there are opportunities out there. But again, you know, do I get points for doing that for Elms? Because someone's already paid for that, you know, that probably discounts you from... uh, because it's all already been done. So I, I just don't know uh, on a practical terms. It's easy to write things down, but delivering it is, is, is different. What about the particular challenges of being a, a tenant farmer and what Elms might, might throw up there? You know, what, are you, what are you hoping for and what are you hope, uh, hoping that doesn't happen as well? Well, yes, I mean, you know, being a tenant, obviously, you know, with the single farm payment, you know, landlords know exactly what I'm getting. And my rent is accordingly um, calculated, taking that into account. And are they going to do the same, you know, with the with the um, the money we get in from the Elms that uh, they'll see that as part of my income, you know, take half of it or whatever as rent which technically the payment is for the projects that you do not to uh, you know for the benefit of wildlife not to the benefit of um, the landlord so there's an awful lot of tenants who will be putting in rent reviews this september this coming september this year because obviously the single farm payment is getting reduced um, and over the next four years it's going to disappear and as a lot of rent is based on the single farm payments, rents are going to have to come down a huge amount for tenant farmers to be able to survive. 
so you know there's a lot of questions to to be um sorted out there thanks to jez and to tim and jess as we've just heard getting all this down on paper and agreed in principle is the easy bit but delivering it on the ground is something else entirely and as tim says tenants may have an even bigger challenge to make sure they do not lose out financially we'll be bringing you more on this as the pilot schemes develop so keep an eye on the podcast and also on our website just head over to fginsight.com. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. And why not subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss out on any of the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. Until next week, from us at Farmers Guardian, a big thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well, and goodbye for now. <laughs>